Welcome, everybody. I am finally back at my home here in Puerto Rico. Been traveling for about two and a half months, got the kids back in school. And so I am here back at work. You know, by the way, a lot of people have been suggesting that I upgrade the camera. So I finally ordered a 4K camera, which will be here next week. So pretty soon you'll be seeing me in much greater clarity, although I'm not really sure that's going to work out well for me given that I am 60 years old. But, you know, I'm surprised at just how much those, those things cost. But anyway, I decided to, uh, to go for it. I want to uh, begin today's podcast, though, by speaking about the uh, CPI numbers that came out on Thursday. They were very highly anticipated because everybody is uh, looking at the CPI. And the main reason that everybody is so focused on the CPI. It's not really because, you know, they're really worried about inflation, although most people are. I'm talking about Wall Street. When I'm talking about uh, investors, that's who's like ancient, a- anxiously looking at the CPI. And a lot of uh, wealthy investors, you know, hedge fund managers, all these Wall Street guys, they don't really care about, uh, you know, what, what it costs to go to the grocery store or how much it costs to fill up their, their car with gas. That, that, that's not a problem. What they're worried about is interest rates. That's a big problem because a lot of these guys are highly leveraged and they've been gouging on a, a banquet of, of cheap money for more than a decade. And the reason that everybody is waiting for inflation to go back down to the holy grail of 2% is so interest rates can go back down. That's what they're concerned about. Not the price of, of uh, milk you know, or the price of gas, the price of money, credit. That's what everybody is concerned about. So everybody wants inflation to go back down so the Fed can finally uh, reduce interest rates and get them back down to a level that is affordable. Because remember, because the Fed kept interest rates so low for so long, everybody's got a bunch of debt, right? Everybody just acted as if rates would never go up. And of course, you know, that was foolish because it was inevitable that they would eventually go up. But again, no one cared, right? Everybody just wanted to party, uh, you know, and, you know, dance while the music was playing. They didn't care that it was eventually going to stop. And, and so they just acted like it would go on forever. And so everybody is waiting for lower rates and it's not going to happen. Because inflation is not going back down to 2%. It's just not going to happen. It really never should have been below 2% or even anywhere near 2%. The fact that we got away with these low CPI prints for so many years, despite the fact that we created so much inflation. Again, remember, the CPI is measuring inflation. It's not inflation. Inflation is not prices going up. It's not wages going up. It's not costs going up. No, it's money supply going up. And money supply went way up. Even if it's shrinking a little bit now, which is just temporary, it went way up. And you're not going to get rid of all that inflation just by taking rates from zero to five and a quarter, five and a half, whatever, and leaving them there for a year or so. That's not going to do it. It's not going to reverse 
better than a decade of inflation creation, especially when the government, which is ultimately the source of the inflation that the Fed creates or the impetus for the Fed to create the inflation, when you have budget deficits exploding, even before we're officially in a recession, the deficits are just skyrocketing. We have $2 trillion you know, deficits, really, uh, uh, budget deficits, and record trade deficits. Inflation is not going away. Inflation is going to get much worse. And again, what people still don't get is a year of interest rate hikes. That's a price hike, right? Interest rates, the price of money, it's a price. It's gone up. That is going to factor into the price of everything. I think a lot of other products and services have a long way to go as far as hikes in order to um, make up for that because it's a cost structure, just like labor costs. You know, we know labor costs are going up. You know, the big UPS now, you know, they're going to have to pay, I think I read, that truck drivers, the long-haul truck drivers, I don't even think they've ratified the contract yet. These guys actually might be holding out for more money. But I think that they're going to be paying these truck drivers $170,000 a year to drive trucks back and forth. <laughs> you know, uh, And obviously, what's UPS going to do? They're going to pass that on. Now, obviously, at some point, they're going to get rid of these truck drivers completely. You know, truck driver is the number one occupation in America for men. Uh, and all these truck drivers, of course, are going to be eliminated. And one of the reason is the high cost of employing them. Of course, part of that has to do with the regulations uh, involved in, in all the labor laws for, for these truck drivers. But as the, these wage costs are going up, clearly this gets passed on. Now, it's not that the wages are causing the prices to go up. Inflation is causing both wages and prices to go up. But sometimes there's a sequence. You get inflation, right? Food prices go up, uh, rents go up. So now the workers need more money. And so they get a raise. And now their employers have to charge more for whatever they were doing. And everything kind of goes up. But what gets the ball rolling is the, the money printing, the expansion of the money supply. So all these guys that talk about a wage price spiral, they're, they're wrong. Those are uh, 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 you know, false things concocted by the government to try to blame the private sector for inflation. The same thing uh, as cost push inflation. People say, well, prices go up because costs go up. But that's circular logic because costs are just another word for prices. One person's cost is another person's price. If I'm a business, uh, you know, what's my cost of raw materials? Well, it's the price that I'm paying. It's the price that uh, my suppliers are charging me. So it's two words for the same thing. So, you know, saying, Prices go up because costs go up is like saying prices go up because prices go up. Well, that, that doesn't explain anything. What causes it to happen? It's inflation. It's the increase in money supply. And so nothing that the Fed has done thus far is going to succeed in bringing inflation back down to 2%. Now, what has happened is that we have seen a, a reduction of inflation from 9% headline to 2% headline. And that's mainly because we had a 50% drop in oil prices. And then you had some other commodity prices that came down. And we had a big rise in the dollar. And so all of that helped bring down headline CPI. But that's just transitory. That's not going to stay that way. But meanwhile, core, 
uh, which never went up nearly as much as the headline, hasn't come down nearly as much. It's basically still around 5%, even as we're troughing on the reduction in inflation. And the Fed's got interest rates above 5%. You know, it's like they've got interest rates all the way above 5%. They, they've shot all their big guns, basically. There's not much left uh, in the barrel. You know, maybe another hike or two. But it's like, you know, Superman is there and you, you, you empty your revolver and all the bullets bounce off his chest. And then it's like, well, now what am I going to do? I can throw the gun at them, but that's not going to do anything. I mean, they don't have left anything left. They can throw the gun at inflation, but that's about it. Because if the Fed really gets tough on inflation and moves interest rates up to where they need to be, well, everything collapses, right? Because nobody can afford to pay the debt. We just got the, you know, the downgrade of uh, U.S. Treasury debt you know, by, by Fitch. I talked about that on my last podcast. You know, by the way, this week, Moody's came out and they downgraded a bunch of regional banks, you know, which is typically what happens, you know, they, they close the barn doors after the horses have left, except in this case, there's still some horses in the barn. I mean, they didn't wait till the absolute end uh, to downgrade. Now, yeah, they could have done it a year or two ago. I mean, there was plenty of evidence uh, that they should have downgraded these banks a year ago or more. Uh, but even now, it's not merely too late. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot more downgrades to come because the banks are in a lot of trouble because of rising interest rates and falling asset prices, which, you know, is going to happen because, you know, it was low interest rates that propped up the assets and now interest rates have gone up. So asset prices come collapsing down. But that's the collateral for their loans. Those are the assets that they have on their books. So the banks are in a lot of trouble. The Federal Reserve completely decimated uh, the U.S. banking industry, not just the Federal Reserve, but the U.S. government through guaranteed bank accounts completely corrupted the free market uh, so that all of these uh, banks were loaded up with risk because there were no free market forces to deter all that risk taking. So the government completely destroyed uh, the U.S. banking system. We just haven't seen all of the consequences yet, but believe me, they're coming. But I want to get back to uh, this July CPI that everybody was was waiting for. And the consensus was that we were going to get a 0.2% increase in, uh, in the CPI. And that's what we got. We got a 0.2% increase, which is the same increase we got the month before. So that doesn't seem like we're making a lot of progress. Year over year, we came out a little bit better than the consensus. They were looking for 3.3. That's the overall headline number. We got an increase of 3.2. But last month, in June, it was 3%. And now we're up to 3.2. We're going in the wrong direction. We're supposed to be going down to 2. Instead, we just went up from 3 to 3.2. Uh, I'm going to continue to talk about this CPI. I'm going to get to the core and uh, also the PPI numbers that came out the following day on Friday after this uh, quick commercial break. So stick around. We'll be right back.
Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, we're talking about the CPI, which is the government's uh, way of measuring the effects of inflation. Of course, it's a very dishonest way, deliberately by design. The government doesn't want the people to know just how bad uh, inflation is. And so they, uh, they try to hide the effects with a highly rigged, CPI. Again, it's not that somebody fudges the numbers. It's that the very methodology that is used to compile the numbers is flawed. So by design, when they calculate the increase in prices, they're only capturing a portion of how much prices actually went up. So they don't have to rig the data. The the index is already pre-rigged for them. So, you know, it makes it a lot easier for the government to try to fool the people. But ultimately, the people have to pay the prices. So they're paying the real prices, not the pretend prices uh, that are part of the CPI. But anyway, getting to the core, C- the core numbers, which is X food and energy, there we've had uh, a smaller rise. Uh, the expectation was up 0.2. And we met that with up 0.2. And the year-over-year increase, uh, ex-food and energy, uh, was, oh, excuse me, um, uh, the, the, the year-over-year increase was up 4.7, and they were looking for an increase of 4.8. So it's actually the core that's, that's hotter. I, I got them backwards for a second. The, 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 uh. The core number has been higher than the headline number because of the negative effects of uh, falling oil prices. Well, that's been reversed. I mean, oil actually was slightly down on the week. I had thought that we would have a bigger uh, up week with some momentum. Instead, we got some profit taken. We did make a new high. Oil prices got above 84, uh, which was a new high for this move. And they ended up selling off a bit. We closed around 82 and a half or so, just off about 20 or 30 cents on the week. But if you look at where oil prices are since the July CPI came out, if you look at what happened, uh, I mean, um, in, in the last month, right, oil prices are up like another 15%. So that's going to have to show up. In, uh, in 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 uh, the August CPI number, uh, we're going to have to start seeing the impact of rising energy prices, which is why I think that we've probably troughed here on these improving CPI numbers. And now we're just heading the other way. But again, even ex-food and energy, we're at 4.7. If that's the preferred measure, if the Fed just ignores the headline, which is what it always says when the headline is higher, because you've got food and energy prices going up and they want to focus on the core. If the core is only at 4.7, that's all they've accomplished. 
moving rates from zero to five and a quarter, they've only managed to bring core CPI year over year to 4.7. That's it. They want to go all the way back down to two. They don't have a chance because, again, they don't have much left in the way of weight hikes. And we're already kind of bottoming out because they've got no help whatsoever from Congress, the president. There's been no cuts to government spending. They're increasing government spending and the deficits are increasing uh, to finance it, which ultimately puts tremendous pressure on the Fed to end its quantitative tightening and return to quantitative easing. Just a question of when does the Fed blink? They already blinked once with the bailouts of the banks. And they're probably going to need another bailout soon enough. Uh, so even though they have been shrinking the balance sheet, I, I expect I expect rather that process to reverse. In fact, I think that before the Fed starts cutting rates, they're going to be expanding the balance sheet again. A lot of people are thinking that, oh, well, the Fed's going to start cutting rates while they continue to expand, the, to shrink the balance sheet. I think it's more likely that what stops first is the balance sheet, that they're going to reverse that before they start cutting rates. But they are going to have to cut rates because the government is going to need the help because the government can't afford to pay the interest on the national debt. And when it becomes a big enough problem, then the Fed is going to provide some relief, which is going to just uh, you know send inflation numbers much, much higher. Let me get to the PPI numbers that came out on Friday, though, because these, I guess... Uh, we're looking a little bit better on a year-over-year basis. But again, I am expecting much bigger increases in producer prices. Uh, they're going to be affected by the increasing energy prices, the increasing transportation prices. Uh, everything is going up. So the um, consensus was for an increase of 0.2 for July, and we actually beat it. We were up by 0.3. So the inflation number on the producer front, anyway, was a little bit higher than expected. And the same thing with the year over year. It was supposed to go up 0.7. Instead, it went up 0.8. But the bigger uh, uh, news is the difference between the prior month, because the June number was up just 0.1, although that was revised to up 0.2. But we've gone from up 0.2 to up 0.8. That's the wrong direction, right? It's supposed to be going down and now it's going up. X food and energy, the core was up 0.3. Again, that was also uh, a bigger increase than was expected, which was up 0.2. Now that was uh, hotter than the prior month. That was actually revised from up 0.1 to negative 0.1. But again, that's a move in the wrong direction from a decline of 0.1 to a rise of 0.3. And year over year, uh, X food and energy, it's up 2.4. Again, above consensus, above 2.3. It's equal to the prior month, but there's no more improvement. Maybe nobody is bothering to notice this, but they're talking about all the improvements. Those improvements are in the rear view mirror. What we're looking at in the windshield is pretty scary when it comes uh, to, to future inflation. Uh, all you got to do is open your eyes to see, uh, to see all those pressures there. But people seem to be blind to that. 
And, you know, not only do we keep getting uh, these uh, bad news, bad numbers on inflation, but we continue to get uh, other um, numbers that evidence a weak economy. Now, I was looking at the consumer credit numbers, which jumped again on the week, 17.9 billion. They were looking for a 14 billion increase. We got almost 18 billion. And the prior month was revised up from 7.3 to 9.4. One of the drivers was a big jump in credit card debt. Credit card debt in America is now over a trillion. That's never happened before that we've had a trillion dollars of credit card debt. We're approaching $2 trillion of student loan debt. I mean, that is astronomical, but we've never had over a trillion in, in credit card debt. Why are Americans relying so heavily on their credit cards? Because they can't afford to buy stuff with the money that they have. So they have to borrow money they don't have. Wages might be going up, but they're not going up as fast as other prices. And, and, and so people have to rely on credit. But that's part of the problem because inflation is not just an increase in the supply of money, but it's also credit because you can use credit instead of money. So if you can buy stuff with credit, you can bid up prices. And that's what's happening because consumers still have access to a lot of credit. They're able to use that credit to keep buying stuff. Now, if they didn't have access to that credit, well, maybe they'd have to stop buying, right? And so the interest rates would have a bigger impact on, uh, on inflation because they would be reducing demand because people wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to borrow the money. But if they're borrowing it anyway, even though interest rates have gone up, they keep on borrowing, then you're not getting the reduction in demand. It's, it's just there. And of course, the government hasn't reduced its demand at all, right? It hasn't shrunk its spending because all that uh, is driving consumption and, and pushing and pushing prices higher. You know, also, I mean, I don't want to diminish uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the loss of life, but look at the fires in, in, in Maui, you know, in Lahaina, you know, just decimated thousands of homes destroyed. Um, who knows how many people lost their lives? I know there's like a thousand people that are missing. I'm not sure. I think they have maybe 60 confirmed dead. It's a terrible disaster in, 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 in Maui. But think about how that kind of disaster, how that impacts what's going to be going on in prices. Because all these homes that were there, now they got to be rebuilt. Where's the raw materials going to come uh, to reconstruct them? All these insurance companies have to pay for this. Where are they going to get the money? They got to sell, they got to sell bonds if they were holding on to those. You know, bonds didn't correct. Bonds got clobbered again uh, on, uh, on the day and on the week. We closed, I think, at new highs, weekly highs. The yield on a five-year is 4.272 uh, on a, no, five-year is four, yeah, 4.272. A 30-year, no, no, that that is, excuse me, the five-year closed at four spot 308. Kind of, with the yield curve was inverting a bit, but but that that changed. Now the, the, the five-year is once again higher than the 10-year and the 30-year. So the five-year closed at four spot 308, the 10-year at four spot 168, and the 30-year at four spot 272. But all these yields are higher than they were previously. And I guess maybe those inflation numbers that were a little bit worse than expected 
sent the, the yield on the five-year higher because maybe people think that we're going to see an extra rate hike maybe in September. I don't know what, but you, you, you got that movement. In fact, the stock market was down on the week, all but the Dow. You know, the Dow was the only index that was positive. The NASDAQ, by the way, has now dropped for two weeks in a row. That's the first time that's happened this year. A lot of people might not have realized that we haven't had two back-to-back declines in the NASDAQ until this last week. And so, again, I've been talking on this podcast. The market should be going down based solely on this backup in, in interest rates, which has continued. And as far as I'm concerned, looking at the charts, there is no evidence that this is going to stop. I mean, I think rates are going to be moving up towards 5% uh, on these maturities before the end of the year. And that is a huge uh, negative milestone that should be a massive roadblock for the stock market. But we got, you know, consumers are struggling. They're going deeper in the debt. The savings rate is plunging. I got some other economic data that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, the jobless claims, they jumped. They spiked up again last week. They were up 21,000. They went from 229,000 in the prior week to 248,000. Now, I don't know when the 30,000 people who lost their jobs from yellow, when they're going to show up in these numbers, but that's coming. Uh, But so you're getting the pickup in, in unemployment. In fact, what a lot of people just don't seem to get is that when the economy officially goes into recession. I mean, I've been arguing that it's been unofficially in recession uh, for quite some time. But when we officially get into recession, when we finally get a big enough increase in joblessness that it shows up in the statistics, when that happens, the inflation numbers are going to be going in the other direction. So everybody is expecting that, well, we're not going to have you know, we're going to have a soft landing or not going to land at all. But if we end up in a recession, everybody just assumes, well, then the Fed is going to be able to cut rates, right? Because the economy is going to need stimulus. Well, how do they do that if inflation is moving back up in the other direction? I mean, Powell said at the last PREP conference that he expects rates to be uh cut. He expects the Fed to cut rates long before inflation gets back to 2%. But when he said that, it's probably with the expectation that inflation will at least be headed in that direction. That maybe it'll be, you know, 2.5, 2.4, like kind of on a glide path to 2%, and then they'll start cutting rates. But how is Powell going to cut rates if inflation is 4 or 5 and headed higher? How does he do that? Well, he can't, but he's going to have to, which is why there's going to be a currency crisis, a U.S. dollar crisis, and why I'm so bullish on gold. But anyway, I've got more to talk about on this podcast. So we got another commercial break. Stick around. I'll be right back. During that commercial, I happen to be looking at some of the comments that were posted, and I noticed that somebody mentioned that they just had a a son, a baby, and they named it Irwin after my dad. So really appreciate that. There's not a lot of people out there uh, named Irwin. So it's good to have a good to have another one. Uh, anyway, I want to get back. Oh, before I move forward with another topic, I, I circle back. I, I mentioned the, the Maui fires. The other thing I just want to bring up, because whenever I see these natural disasters, 
There's always these Keynesian economists out there trying to point to the silver lining. There are no silver linings. It's just a disaster. It's, it's all bad. There's no good. But they try to claim, well, this is good for the economy. It's going to boost the GDP. It's not good for the economy. It doesn't boost anything. <laughs> you know, uh, they talk about how much, you know, we're going to have to spend to rebuild what we lost. Yes, but had we not lost it, we could have spent that money on something else. You know, these Keynesians think that economies are driven by spending. They're not. <laughs> They're driven by savings and investment. And if we spend money rebuilding houses that we used to have, then there's something that we can't create that we otherwise would have had. Because we, instead of making something new, we have to replace something old, right? Something that we already had. So nobody is better off uh, because we have to expend all these resources and divert, devote all this labor to replacing what we already had. And that means those resources and that labor can't be used to create something that we didn't have. So this is just people who don't know anything about economics trying to explain the, the benefits of, of, of a disaster. But, you know, speaking of, 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 of idiots, you know, uh, I want to say something about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, otherwise known as AOC. Because ironically, and I, I didn't even notice this until somebody had emailed me about it. And so I, I saw her on her Twitter and I, I retweeted it. But one of the things I talked about on this podcast years ago uh, was sunscreen. I pointed out that American sunscreen was basically horrible compared to the sunscreen that they use all over the world. And at one point, I had this guy from Israel. He was sending me uh, the Israeli sunscreen uh, in the mail because I couldn't go to the store in America and buy, buy good sunscreen because there's been a lot of advancements in the technology behind sunscreens. And so the products are a lot better everywhere in the world except America. I mean, they may be marginally better here, but they're not nearly as good as, as what you get every place else. And the reason is the government. I mean, it's been, you know, 20 years or so since they've, uh, you know, approved any kind of improvement in, in sunscreen. So we're 20 years behind at least the rest of the world. And the reason for that is the FDA. The FDA won't approve any of this because they classify sunscreen as a, as a drug or something, right? Because it's got a medical goal to protect you from uh, the UV rays of the sun and to reduce uh, the incidence of, of skin cancer. Uh, and so because it's a drug, you have to get FDA approval. You got to run all these expensive tests. Nobody can afford to do it because it's sunscreen. I mean, how much are you going to charge? I mean, this stuff is kind of expensive. Uh, but, I mean, you can't charge hundreds of dollars a bottle. I mean, no one's going to buy it. Uh, and so the companies are not spending enough money, and the process has taken so long that it's just forget about it. I mean, Americans just have to get by with substandard sunscreen because of government, right? Uh, and now, of course, skin cancer is the number one cancer in the United States. So we would have a lot less skin cancer if the FDA would let us have good sunscreen. But for our own protection... We can't have it unless, you know, you got a friend who's going to help you smuggle it in uh, into the country. So apparently AOC finally noticed this. And so she went to Twitter and she did a video with some friend of hers. I'm not sure. Maybe she's, you know, in the industry complaining about the fact that we don't have these good sunscreens. Ironically, of course, it's the government that she loves so much, this big government 
That is the reason. And she pointed out that, yes, it's the, the, the FDA is the reason. And so she wants Congress to do something to get the FDA to do something uh, to allow the sunscreens in. Has it even dawned on her? Is she starting to think about this? Because this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, this is just one example of how government screws stuff up. Because government screws everything up. It's not just sunscreen. Government is the reason we have all sorts of problems. The politicians can't, you know, figure this out. It's something that's called unintended consequences, right? The road to hell, or in this case, uh, the road to skin cancer, right, is paved with good intentions. These bureaucrats, oh, we want to protect people, uh, you know, from uh, bad products, and they end up protecting them from good products, right? In the case of sunscreen, you know, let the public decide. You know, we don't need the government. We already have a danger, right? There's a, there's a sun, we could get cancer. So can't we just pick uh, the sunscreen that we want to use? Do we really need to have the government decide which sunscreens we could use and which sunscreens we can't? I mean, can't the marketplace decide that? Aren't people smart enough to figure out what kind of cream to rub on their bodies? I mean, if AOC can figure it out, pretty much anybody can. But she can't connect the dots and see. Now, maybe, maybe a light bulb is going to go off in her head and she'll start to think if the government is screwing this up, what else are they screwing up? And again, the solution to the problem is not more government, but less government. See, that's what AOC is actually advocating for. We need less government, right? She can't, though, really articulate that, that, hey, government has screwed this up. Now, she thinks Congress needs to solve the problem. They're not solving the problem. They created the problem because they created the FDA. <laughs> so it's like they have to rein in their own monster. That's what they have to do. See, all of the government solutions involve the elimination of government, right? Repealing a rule or a regulation because the problem started with the government. The government created it and the government has to solve it by reversing the damage that it's already done. But I'm glad that AOC at least has found one government program she doesn't like. She now has found something about government to complain about, and we need a solution. The free market has the solution. The government is just not allowing the free market to function. Now, I don't know if you know she's going to go anywhere with this. I mean, if she actually could get some FDA reforms done, if she could actually get uh, this uh, this sunscreen approved, then that would actually be something good that she did because no one else has done it. At least at least she's talking about it. this is the one time that that you know I'm on the same page uh, with 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 AOC. But um, anyway, I want to move on though. I want to stay on politics, but I want to move on from AOC to uh, Donald Trump because I didn't have a chance to talk about the most recent Trump indictment. I got, you know, I only had one podcast again last week and I had a lot of other stuff I wanted to talk about. So I, I really couldn't couldn't get to this topic. So I, I really wanted to get to it on this one before it really becomes old news or before they just indict Donald Trump with yet another crime, right? It seems like every time there's more dirt on Joe Biden and, and Hunter Biden, they have to come up with another indictment for Donald Trump. So who knows? I mean, they may come up with a fourth one I think already he's facing like 500 years in jail uh, for basically doing nothing. Meanwhile, the big guy, right, there's a mountain of evidence that he's committed serious crimes, yet nothing. But they're going after Trump. But I want to talk about 
the last charge against Donald Trump, because of all the indictments, of the, th the three indictments, I think this one is the most problematic. And it's probably, you know, that's why it's that third one, because they're, they're grasping for straws here. You know, they're, they're trying to get more indictments to cover up uh, the, the criminal conduct of, of the Biden family. But Trump has basically been indicted for lying. I mean, that's that's basically what what they're saying he did. Like they're saying Trump lied. Right. What was the lie? Well, the lie that he basically told was that the election was rigged. The election was stolen. Right. That 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 Biden didn't really win fair and square, that there, so, there was some cheating going on. And, and he thought that he should have won. Right. That's what he said. Now, you could say that if you believe it. Right. I mean, anybody can question an election. If you if you think it was rigged, if you don't think it was fair, right? You're 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 allowed to question the results of elections. In fact, you have to be allowed to question the results of elections. If you couldn't question it, if you had to accept any result, even if you thought there was cheating or it was rigged, then there would be cheating. They would be rigged because you know if you know there's no consequences, right? If you're a kid in class and you know, if you cheat on your exam, that nobody can call you out. The teacher can't accuse you of cheating. You're just going to get away with it. Well, then you're going to cheat, right? A lot of people would if they know that there's no consequences. It's because you might get caught cheating. Well, then you, you, you better not cheat because, you know, there could be negative consequences of getting caught. But if there's no negative consequences to cheating on an election, well, you're going to get more cheating. So you got to have people, uh, you know, calling out these elections. So Donald Trump did that. He's not the first president to think that he should have won, right? I mean, a lot of, you know, that that happens. And as a matter of fact, it's not like anything happened other than the the, the September uh, or, or January 6th stuff, right? It's not like Donald Trump uh, got the army uh, and, 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 and as commander in chief and basically stayed in the White House and, and didn't turn over power, right? Didn't let Biden become president. It wasn't like it was a military coup where Donald Trump said, look, I won the election, so I'm staying here. I'm the president. And, you know, he had uh, Joe Biden uh, arrested and put in jail or something and, and, and had declared martial law. He didn't do any of that. I mean, it was a normal handoff. I mean, as soon as whatever the day came, Donald Trump stepped down, Biden stepped up. It was the same transfer of presidential power that we've always had. I think... Um, Trump didn't go to the inauguration. I think that was his way of protesting. He just didn't show up. Nothing illegal about that. He's not required to show up. You know, uh, you can't put the guy in jail for that. But he didn't do anything to upset the process, right? The process went on. Even though he complained, uh, he didn't do anything. I mean, it's just he just accepted the results, even though he questioned their legitimacy, which is his right to do. But what the uh, uh, Justice Department is accusing Trump of doing is lying. Basically, they're saying, you know, Donald Trump really didn't believe that. Donald Trump knew that he lost fair and square. He knew that the Democrats didn't cheat. He knew that everything was honest, that there was nothing rigged, right? And, and he just lied. He just pretended that uh, there was, it, it wasn't fair. How the hell are you going to charge somebody criminally for that. Because first of all, even if he did lie, I mean, lying's not a crime. You know, I mean, if it was, every congressman, every senator, they'd all be in jail. 
which, you know, is not not a bad idea. I mean, if you're going to put Trump in jail for lying, then you better put everybody in jail. And, you know, there's some appeal there. You know, I, I mean, that might be a worthwhile, but you can't just single out Donald Trump and say, we're going to take one politician who lied and put him in jail, but we're going to let all these other lying politicians, you know, run, run free. They, I mean, they all lied. That's part of the job. You're not going to be a successful politician if you tell the truth. You know, part of the job description is that you've got to be a good liar. You can't get elected telling the truth. I mean, maybe you could get elected once by on a freak, you know, but you're not going to get reelected over and over again if you tell the truth. No, your lying opponent is going to beat you. You know, I mean, why do you think so many politicians are lawyers? Because lawyers are good liars. No, nothing against lawyers. I mean, I'll, I mean, some lawyers, yeah, but I mean, lawyers lie. That's what they do. They're hired to lie, right? You are a lawyer and you have a, a, a client that you are representing. Maybe it's your criminal uh, a lawyer and your client's been accused of a crime and he's guilty. Well, you've got to lie and pretend he's innocent because you're hired to get him acquitted. So you might have to lie, right? You're trying to convince the jury that your guilty client is innocent, right? You're that you're making them believe something that's not true, right? It's lying, right? Or, you know, in a civil case, right? You know, you're representing somebody who's being sued. Maybe they actually did something wrong, but you're you're hired to say they didn't, right? You you've got to defend them against this lawsuit. Or maybe you got a client who's got a bullshit, frivolous lawsuit, and you got to pretend that it's legit. And, and so you lie, it's all lies, right? And so these lawyers. If they're really good liars, then they go into politics. And if they're really good liars in politics, then they make a career in politics. They stay in office. So you can't basically say, hey, Donald Trump is a politician who lied, so let's charge him. Because we've never thrown politicians in jail because they told lies uh, to the voters, because that's basically what they do. And we kind of accept <laughs> that that's what they do. But here's the other big problem uh, with this so-called lie. It's an opinion. It isn't even like a fact, right? He's saying, I think that this election was rigged. I think it was stolen. I don't think it was fair. How is that even a lie? I mean, in order for that to be a lie, you would actually have to have evidence, right? Where Donald Trump wrote it down somewhere, uh, a note to somebody, you know, I know this election was fair and square, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend that it wasn't. I mean, I know everything was on the up and up, uh, but I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to say that 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 it was rigged, it was stolen. Now, even if they had that evidence, I still don't think this is a crime. But that's what you would need to prove that he lied. If Because I don't think Donald Trump lied. I think he actually believed that the election was rigged. Because after all, he's Donald Trump. He's the greatest president ever, as far as he's concerned. How could he not have been reelected when he was so great? Well, obviously, the other guy cheated. Right. I mean, that's what you would expect Donald Trump to think. I, you know, that's the kind of guy he is. I, I couldn't have lost fair and square. The other guy must have cheated because I'm so great. Right. I had the greatest economy in the world. Everybody loves me. And uh, the only reason I could lose uh, is if the other guy cheats. And I, you don't blame him. Look at all the other lies that were told about Donald Trump for the four years he was president. Right. We all know that all this stuff has come out, all the you know, the, 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 the conspiracies, the, you know, the, the Russians, you know, they conspired uh, to 
uh, to throw the election, right? That was all nonsense. That whole investigation has now been exposed as nonsense. There was no collusion between Trump and Russia. This was all made up. But also, we now know for a fact that the Hunter Biden uh, laptop stuff, a legitimate issue that would have derailed the campaign, had the media, had uh, you know social media, mainstream media, accurately reported what happened with Hunter Biden, Donald Trump would have won. No, no doubt in my mind, that was such a big scandal. It would have derailed uh, Biden because a lot of the, the, the votes that cost Trump the election was anti-Trump. It wasn't pro-Biden. It was, you know, I don't like Trump, so I'm going to vote against Trump. They weren't voting for Biden. Not that many people actually liked Biden. Biden won because there were people who didn't like Trump. Well, if this story had gotten proper attention, the people who didn't like Trump would have disliked Biden even more. This would have put Biden in such a bad light that people would have said, you know, I got the lesser of two evils. I don't like Trump, but I'm certainly not voting for Biden, so I'm stuck with Trump by default. That's what would have happened. So Donald Trump has a right to be pissed off, right, that this happened. But now he knows, right, he knows that the media colluded with the government to bury this story. They never would have done that if it was negative information about Trump. They would have blown it out of proportion. So is that cheating? I think it is. I don't think that's fair. If one side has the media behind them, colluding with them, you know, it wasn't a fair election. Now, there are a lot of other reasons that it may not have been fair. Were, were the votes accurately counted? Was there some, you know, shenanigans going on at the polls? I don't know. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. But you know what What I always think about is um, the, the Democrats, people in Democrats, they dislike Donald Trump so much, right, that I think that in the minds of a lot of people, the ends would justify the means, right? Even if you have to cheat to make sure Donald Trump doesn't get reelected, it's okay. Because having him be elected is so bad. It's so bad we can't let that happen. So even if we have to cheat, like it's like we're going to lose democracy forever. So in order to save democracy, well, we got to like get rid of it for at least one election, right? That That is the, the deal with the devil that they have to make, right? Because, you know, I mean, I don't like to use uh, the Nazi comparison, but, you know, sometimes it's the best best analogy, even though there's, there's, there's no similarities. But, you know, Adolf Hitler came to power through an election, you know? So, like, knowing what you know about Hitler, if you could have cheated on the election and the result would have been that he didn't get elected, would it have been worth it? Well, sure. Right. Yes. If we could cheat on an election and then he Hitler loses instead of wins. Right now. I mean, a lot of people, Democratic Party, as far as they were concerned, he was like Adolf Hitler reincarnated. Right. I mean, that's how bad a lot of people think of Trump. Right. Because there were actually a lot of, you know, Nazi type, you know, references, you know, uh, to, to, to Trump. Uh, he's a fascist. He's all this bad thing. So I, I could see that there would be people who might even be willing to do something wrong because it justifies the results, which is that Donald Trump 
doesn't get reelected. Now, Donald Trump could certainly think, yeah, I've got all these enemies who lied about me, who, who, who accused me of all these things that weren't true, who cheated. And, and, and so do I believe that the election was honest? Oh, I think it was rigged. It was rigged against me. Part of the deep state, you know, whatever. That's his opinion. And he is entitled to it. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. But it doesn't even matter. But now the precedent that we have set is the government is charging a politician for expressing a political opinion that they claim is a lie and that the politician who told it knew it was a lie. Well, if this is the case, again, every politician could be charged with a crime at any time, which is a weapon that you don't want to put in the hands of another politician. Because who is in charge of the Justice Department? Biden, the incumbent Democrat. Who is now being charged with a crime? The the most likely Republican, the opposition. So we're now creating a precedent where the president who's in power, who probably got to power by lying, could now have his opponents charged with the crime of lying that he's committing himself. And, and, and put him in jail. I mean, this, this whole charge is, is so ridiculous. But the, 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 the worst part about it is that we're allowing it to happen. And, and, and what it really says about what's happening to our country. Not that I'm a big fan of the democratic process of democracy. I, I'm not. I, I believe in Republican government. I mean, I think that we should have elections to a degree. But I do, I'm not somebody who thinks that we should do what the majority wants because the majority is typically wrong. I mean, it's very rare that the majority gets it right. And, and normally, uh, the more people who turn out to vote, the less likely the better candidate is to win. You know, everybody, you know, wants a big turnout. I don't want a big turnout. You know, I want the people who are going to vote for the socialists to stay home. You know, I, I, I just want the guys who are going to vote for a more free market oriented uh, candidate. I want those guys to show up. The people who are going to vote for the guy that I don't like, I don't want those guys voting. You know, the whole idea that you want everybody to vote. No, you don't. <laughs> Why would you want the fools to vote and vote in some idiot? I don't want that. You know, I, so I, I want a competent electorate. I don't want to make sure that every incompetent person is at the ballot box. Uh, casting a vote. But what is going on right now where you can have one politician right, um, criminally prosecuting his opponent, this is going down the pathway of banana republic. right? This is not something that anybody would think would happen in the United States, yet it is happening. And you're getting no real backlash. And at the same time that we're getting all of these charges these, you know, trumped up charges against Trump for basically nothing. We're ignoring the fact that the sitting president has probably committed major crimes and nobody cares. I mean, yeah, you turn on Fox News. Yes, you'll hear about all this stuff, but that's it. You know, well, maybe one American news or some of these, you know, the other uh, conservative outlets, but in the mainstream media, it's crickets. You know, all they talk about is Donald Trump. And if they talk about Biden at all, it's all what a great father he is. 
yes, he, he has a troubled son, but, you know, he stands by him. I mean, with only a father, you know, he's, you know, yes, oh, he's great. He gets on the phone uh, with his son's businessmen to talk about the weather. Oh, what a nice dad he is. You know, like, you know, making up excuses, uh, justifying all the stuff. It's just, you know, being completely blind to reality while they're fixated on the fantasy of Trump. But meanwhile, this is doing real damage because of the political precedent that is is being set. Now, to the extent that Donald Trump actually gets convicted of one of these offenses by, you know, a rigged jury that hates Donald Trump, you know, you find, you know, 12 uh, people that that hate Trump. It shouldn't be hard to find them in Washington, D.C. I don't know if they're trying to move the venue to Maryland or something, but, you know, they're going to fill it up with Trump haters. Probably anybody that voted for Trump is going to get disqualified. So they won't even be allowed on the jury, right? Because they'll say, oh, that guy is biased, right? He voted for Trump. So you'll have a whole uh, jury of people who, who, who didn't vote for Trump. Um, but assuming that they could, they can, you know, get a orchestrated conviction here, it's, it's going to go up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is going to have to hear it. See, normally, you know, they, they wouldn't hear a case, but when it's a president of the United States, you know, they're, they're not going to not hear this case. And there's no way that they're not going to throw out a conviction if they get one. No chance uh, that the Supreme Court that we've got now, you know, there's no way because they're going to throw out the whole thing because it's ridiculous. Um, and now that's going to open up a whole new problem for the Supreme Court, right? Because, oh, no, look, they, they let this guilty guy go. It's all political. We need to stack the court. We need, you know, we need more justices. You know, there's nothing in the Constitution that says you have to have nine of them. Uh, you know, they started out with with six, which didn't even make much sense because what, when you got three to three, you you know, you, you got a tie. So they should have an odd number. But so they ended up with nine. But the last president who tried to increase the number was Roosevelt. And he was getting close and he ended up not doing it. Uh, there was this one justice that, you know, who was, had been voting against these New Deal programs. And then he switched his vote. Right. And that became known as the switch in time that saved nine. Uh, because Roosevelt was going to put some lackeys on the court because the justices were doing the right thing and they were striking down all of his unconstitutional, you know, uh, New Deal programs. Well, they're talking about that again and, you know, reversing or throwing out a Trump conviction uh, could be a catalyst. That's assuming that uh, Biden gets reelected, which is a stretch because I think that what's going on right now um, in the economy and with these charges, I think is actually <clears throat> going to work to Trump's advantage. So he might just win. And of course, if he wins, uh, then to the extent he, he was convicted, he could just pardon himself, I guess. Um, and in fact, <laughs> a lot of people would actually, I think, like to see him win that might not have been in favor of Trump before. Now that he's uh, got all these charges, uh, he might actually get some sympathy votes and there might, you know, people might want to see him actually win, who might have voted against him. So like just about everything that the Democrats do, this might just backfire on them. Uh, And, you know, just like all their government programs and the unintended consequences, whatever they want to accomplish with their legislation, they achieve the opposite. Well, the same thing may happen with Trump. They want to defeat him and they may just make sure that he does what only one man has done uh, in history. And that was actually one of my favorite presidents. He may have actually be my favorite president, Grover Cleveland, who was the only American president to, to serve 
two non-consecutive terms. Trump might might pull a Grover Cleveland. Oh, and by the way, you know, one of the things that made Grover Cleveland famous, you know, we have all these natural disasters, but there was a small, there was a drought. I think it was in Texas, the farmers, and they needed like $10,000. And so Congress actually passed this bill to give aid to these drought-stricken farmers. And Cleveland vetoed it. And he said he can't put his finger anywhere in the Constitution where the government is authorized to do that. He said, yes, we've got farmers that are in trouble, but we can't give them any money because there's nothing in the Constitution that authorizes such an expenditure. But what Cleveland did do is he donated his own money. He knew he had no right to uh, take taxpayer money and help the farmers, but he was able to take his own money and help the farmers. And in fact, after he vetoed that bill, the farmers got enough money by private charity. They ended up getting more money than they were going to get through an unconstitutional appropriation, which a Grover Cleveland had the integrity to veto. There's not many people today, in fact, there's nobody today that would veto a bill to uh, give aid to somebody who was stricken by a natural disaster. That's a matter of course. Everybody expects anytime there's a disaster, federal government is going to be spending money. Well, once upon a time, that was unconstitutional. Now, the Constitution hasn't changed. We have the same Constitution now that we had when Grover Cleveland was president. What's changed is that we no longer uh, honor the Constitution. The Constitution is no longer enforced uh, because the judges let the government get away with violating it. Anyway, that's it for now. Hopefully, now that I'm back in Connecticut, we'll be able to have more frequent uh, podcasts. And again, uh, next week, we'll be uh, bringing them to you in 4K uh, reception. So bye for now. 